In a world filled with fear, anxiety, discord, and division, it is time for the peacemakers to begin their ministry. You alone hold the key to a peaceful coexistence with others. America was known as the great melting pot where people from every nation could come to enjoy our freedoms. It was called a melting pot because these differing nationalities were mingled together in what we call the great experiment of democracy. Our founding fathers wanted this to be a place where every person, regardless of race, creed, or economic status, could pursue their individual dreams. The melting pot image may no longer be valid as we have degenerated into the place where each person is demanding his or her own individual rights without regard to society. We've become more like a salad bowl with each person maintaining his or her individual identity without commingling with others. In our time, we have witnessed the progression from tolerance to intolerance at almost every level of society. Our nation is divided into polar opposites at either extreme of the spectrum of politics and faith. This has brought about an almost warlike attitude among the populace as anger has replaced what was formerly just a benign indifference. However, neither a benign indifference nor anger is a good environment for growth to maturity as a nation, as a people, as an individual. Now, the Apostle Paul gives us a potential solution to the problem, which apparently has been overlooked by many people. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 18, he says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. We should notice at the outset, though, that this is a conditional type of command which renders it more like a suggestion than it is a command. He qualifies this command with two conditions. Number one, if possible. Number two, as much as you can. Therefore, we must acknowledge that it may not always be possible to live peacefully with everyone. However, that should never, ever be said about you. It should always be possible for anybody else to live peaceably with you, with me, with us. We should be a people with whom it is easy to get along with. There should be nothing within us which causes the angry person to act out his anger. Now, there are some people for whom their anger is so deep-rooted that the only way to avoid making them angry is to not be in their presence. We probably all know someone like that. But if we find ourselves in their presence, then there should be nothing in our actions or words or tone of voice which would stir up that anger. That's why Paul says, as much as you can. We are to make 
the effort to be at peace. It is up to us. Now, the idea of peace is mentioned often in the Bible, and Jesus spoke often about peace. But he made two contrasting statements about peace that I find fascinating. And they're pertinent to our ability to live peaceably in this world. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9, he said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Then in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 34, he says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Contrasting statements? Possibly confusing statements put there together like that. What does it mean to be a peacemaker? There was a time in our nation's history when a Colt 45 strapped to the hip was called a peacemaker. But I don't think that was the fulfillment of that verse of scripture. Is a peacemaker one who can stop a quarrel between two people? Yes, in a manner of speaking. But that is only peace between warring individuals. We've seen that numerous times with the Camp David Accords and other attempts at peaceful solutions between the Palestinians and the Israelis. That kind of peace may be brought about by a peacemaker. The same is true when a teacher breaks up a fight on the school playground. In that place, the teacher functions as a peacemaker. However, there's a, how should I say it, deeper more intense level of a peacemaker that I believe Jesus was speaking about. Have you ever been in the presence of someone who just made you feel good to be there? Their very presence brings about a serenity in your being which you probably cannot explain. It just is. That person is a peacemaker. They bring peace with them wherever they go. How's that possible? How's it possible to be that kind of a peacemaker where your very presence settles things for people? It's possible because that person has learned to be at peace with themselves. They are no longer striving to be noticed or recognized or affirmed, approved, or anything else. They know that they are. And the only approval that they need comes from God. They know who they are, and they're happy with who they are. They have nothing to prove to anyone. Peace is their habitation. It's where they live. As a result, they are able to bring peace with them into any situation. However, with that also comes the second of Jesus' statement about the sword. Their peace can also bring a sword. Consider this verse from Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 7 we read, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. 
Now, this verse makes it appear that evil is a byproduct of making peace. If I were to build a wall across the middle of this room, I am making a wall, but I create two rooms. Now, all I did was build a wall, but it created something, a byproduct. The rooms are a result of having made something. When Jesus, who was the Prince of Peace, came into an area, the demons got stirred up. And they began to torment the person with whom they had made their habitation. His peace caused the evil to come forth. Chaos cannot stand order. Chaos cannot stand peace. When he said that he came to bring a sword, he explained what he meant. In verse 35 of chapter 10, we read, For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Is that his intention? Does he actually cause that? Is that what he wants to happen? Is that what he's doing? Or is it a byproduct of something else? This continues to be the reality for those of the Middle East, especially for those who become a Christian from a Muslim or a Jewish family. The very fact of their conversion causes trouble. That person is shunned, ostracized, and no longer considered a part of the family. In some of the more strict areas, they are killed. Both Jews and Muslims have a legalistic idea about what it means to be right with God and to serve him. It is, for them, it is based on what you do and believe. It's not based on who you are. Now, I've witnessed this many times within the church. When the charismatic movement began to penetrate the denominational churches, I was often told tongues divided our church. When I would investigate, though, I would discover that tongues did not cause the division, but people's reaction to the phenomenon caused the reaction, caused the division. I was helping to establish a Presbyterian church of a different denomination down in Arkansas in the late 80s. Now, some of the people I brought in liked to clap their hands and raise their hands during the singing part of the service. The pastor's wife was uncomfortable with such expressions, and she prevailed upon her husband to get them to stop. The church folded in less than three months. They weren't causing the division. Their love and joy and ecstasy in the Lord stirred up something that someone else could not handle. As much as lies within you, be at peace with everyone. So I ask this question. Is it necessary to make your opinion known in each and every situation? When someone is telling about what they believe or what they've experienced, is it absolutely necessary that you express your opposite belief or experience? 
as much as lies within you, is it not possible to refuse to touch the bone of contention? If someone says, I'm for so-and-so of the political party, is it necessary that you lambaste them for being so stupid? That's where our society has gone. Another way to test this is to ask this question about it. When was the last time you managed to change someone's opinion on an issue by stating your opinion in contrast to something they had said right then? Now we've all experienced people changing their opinions and actually coming around to what we believe. Or we've been changed, come around to what they believe. But never in that moment of rubbing each other with opposite opinions. It takes time for things to settle. It happens so rarely that we should realize that is not the approach. If all you're wanting is to express your opinion, okay, you've done that, but is that being at peace with everyone? All we actually do in that is to further the divide between us. Do you have a right to voice your opinion? Absolutely. I'm not talking about that. But is that the wisest path to take? That's the issue. Yes, we all have a right to our opinion, and we have a right to express that opinion. But is it necessary? Learning to control yourself and the expression of your opinion is an essential step in living peacefully with everyone. Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 23 says, Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. It wasn't until I learned to sort of play my cards close to my chest that I quit getting in trouble. My whole four years in the military was one session of trouble after another because I voiced my opinion. You don't have opinions in the military. How many arguments are started when the second opinion is expressed? Was the opposing opinion necessary? We go on in Proverbs in chapter 17 to verse 27. We read, whoever restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. A cool spirit is a person who has dealt with his anger. Having dealt with their anger has brought them understanding. Understanding has given them the ability to restrain themselves from always having to speak. We've all heard the proverb which says, it's better to be silent and thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. King Solomon said it differently. He said, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. He said that not speaking your opinion on every subject would make people think you are wise. And yet we voice our opinion so they'll know how smart we are. It is counterproductive. 
James gives us the practical application of how to live peacefully with everyone, if at all possible. In chapter 1 and verse 19, he says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. He says that if we could only learn to listen without having to inject our thoughts, anger would hardly ever show up. These are not three steps to doing something. It is one step. Be quick to hear. And if you avoid speaking, anger is not going to be there. James goes on to say that an ability to restrain your tongue from always flapping is a mark of true spirituality. He says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Think about what I've shared with you these past few minutes. How many arguments are begun because the second person had to counter what was said by the first person? Usually it's just in the form of a conversation, not trying to do anything. The first person is just expressing themselves. But we can't stand that for some reason. When we counter the statement of another person, we have essentially invalidated them and their opinion. We have essentially, in sociological terms, told them they're wrong and they're worthless. Is that really what we want to do with people that we're engaged with? Paul began this section where I find this verse about living peacefully. He began the section by saying, let love be genuine. Genuine love accepts another regardless of their weird opinions about life. Love does not try to correct idiotic thinking. Now I should say, Love doesn't try to correct what appears to be idiotic thinking. That would be closer to truth. But for us, when we hear that, we think it's idiotic. Okay? And love doesn't try to correct idiotic thinking. Love lives a life which exposes a less than true manner of thinking. It is in the life that we live, the love that we show, the acceptance that we grant... That allows another person to be able to hear what they've actually said and possibly come to an understanding that that just wasn't so bright, was it? But as soon as we get in there, it is human nature to defend ourselves. When we give our second opinion, they have to defend themselves because they've been attacked. You see it when somebody does it to you. If you've expressed your opinion and somebody comes back, boom, battle's on. Doesn't have to be. If we could master just this one single aspect of living together in the melting pot of America, we could then be able to move toward a peaceful coexistence with those with whom we disagree. 
I urge you, therefore, to let love be your guiding light rather than your thoughts about what is right. The guiding light of love rather than thoughts that are right. Let it be yours. Put it into practice. Try. The next time somebody says something and you get it, make them laugh, yes. Because in that place you might get a chance to share your opinion if you've got them laughing because then they're not going to be attacked. Oh, I was thinking, whatever. But just try to withhold. It's harder than we think, but it's more valuable than you'll ever know.